0: Real sanctification, real heart change is accomplished solely by the Spirit of Christ that dwells in us. We must never depend on our own efforts or even on the means of grace, but always on the Spirit of grace.
1: Welcome to The Word Unleashed with Tom Pennington, Tom is pastor-teacher at Countryside Bible Church in Southlake, Texas. What is a biblical understanding of sanctification? Hi, I'm Bill Wright, and today Tom concludes his current series with part 10 of The Christian's DNA. It's the doctrine that every true follower of Jesus has been adopted into God's family and has received God's very own DNA, as it were. But when it comes to sanctification in this life, there are many flawed views in the evangelical world today. Sadly, these views hinder true believers from becoming more like Jesus. There is a biblical process for sanctification, critical for every believer to know and understand in order for you to spend the rest of your life in pursuit of Christ-likeness. But don't fret. Sanctification is a slow, tedious process, but the rewards and privileges are great indeed as you become more and more like God's son. Tom Pennington shows you how as he opens God's Word here on The Word Unleashed.
0: Our hope causes us to to persevere, to keep battling foot by bloody foot because of the hope of what we know is coming. This is how life works in so many areas. I mean, think about it. Many people only get through the work week in hope of what? The weekend. The weekend's coming. Others only get through a year's work in the hope of vacation. Every day, people endure serious and painful surgeries in the hope of a better, healthier, more pain-free life. But notice here, our hope is not fixed on us, but notice what he says, on him. Our hope is in a person, Jesus Christ. First Timothy 1.1, Christ Jesus is our hope. Our hope is grounded on his promise, that's verse 2, and on his person. I love the way Hebrews 10, 23 puts it, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. Why? Because He who promised is faithful. Now look back at verse 2 in 1 John 3, beloved, now we are children of God, and it has not appeared as yet what we will be, that it, is, it hasn't been manifested, it hasn't been made visible, but we know that when He appears. We will be like Him. There is our hope of sharing Christ's glory because we will see Him just as He is. There's our hope of seeing Christ's glory. John says this hope of seeing and sharing the glory of Christ compels us to pursue sanctification. This is everywhere in the New Testament. Let me just show you one text. Turn to Philippians. Philippians chapter 3, verse 12. Paul's just talked about his justification, that he's been declared right with God through the work of Jesus Christ. That's the paragraph before. And then he says in verse 12 of Philippians 3, not that I have already obtained. Now, you'll notice the word it is added by the translators. I don't think it helps here. You could literally translate the first phrase of verse 12, not that I've already arrived. Arrived at what? or have already become perfect. I'm not yet perfectly like Jesus Christ. But what do I do? I press on so that I may lay hold of that for which also I was laid hold of by Christ Jesus." He said, listen, the reason Christ saved me was to make me like Him, and I press on to that same goal. Brethren, I do not regard myself as having laid hold of it yet. I'm not there yet, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead, I press on. The picture is is of a runner in a race. I press on toward the goal because I want the prize. And what's the prize? It's the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. It's being like Jesus Christ. And he says, "I, I run with all my strength, with all my energy, pursuing the goal and the prize that comes with it. That is the reality of our motivation. It's what compels us toward sanctification. There's a third detail back in our text, and that is our role in sanctification. Again, notice verse 3, and everyone who has this hope fixed on him purifies himself. Purifies himself. Now, that is a very interesting expression, and it teaches us... A couple of important truths, let me just give them to you, a couple of truths about our role in sanctification. First of all, sanctification is not a ritual that I perform, but it is a real cleansing of heart and life. Back in the Septuagint, that is in the Greek translation of the Old Testament, the translation that was done a couple hundred years before Christ that was used in the New Testament era, in the Septuagint, this word purifies is used exclusively for ritual or ceremonial cleansing. But in the New Testament, at times it's used that way. For example, in the book of Acts, it's used that way when Paul is preparing to take the Nazarite vow in Acts 21, Acts 26, I'm sorry, Acts 24. But it's also used for moral purification, to become spiritually clean internally. It's clearly that sense that John has in mind here. He's not talking about ritual or ceremonial cleansing. He's talking about real inward cleansing. How do I know that? Well, we're going to see it in the very next paragraph. In the very next paragraph, he keeps talking about sin versus righteousness, sin versus righteousness. He's talking about real cleansing of the heart and life. The second point we learn here about our role is that as we live this out, sanctification is not a one-time event. It is an ongoing process. The Greek verb is in the present tense, literally, everyone having this hope is purifying himself. In other words, this is not something we do once. This is something we do repeatedly, daily, in an ongoing way, and we do it throughout this life. We never arrive at perfection in this life. Now, in systematic theology terms, this continual cleansing of ourselves is referred to as progressive sanctification. There's a third lesson we learn here about our role, and that is sanctification is not received passively, but is worked out actively. This cuts across what a lot of people think about sanctification. It's not received passively. It's not something God just zaps me with. It's something that I have to work out actively. Notice again verse 3, the Christian purifies himself. Now please be careful here, don't get confused. Only the blood of Jesus Christ can cleanse us from the stain and the guilt of sin and make us acceptable to God. That work is something Christ must do, and He alone. This is clear in John's letter. Look at chapter 1, 1 John 1 verse 7. It says, the blood of Jesus His Son cleanses us from all sin. Go down to chapter 2 verse 2, He Himself, the righteous one, Jesus, is the propitiation, the satisfaction of God's justice for our sins. And not for ours only, but also for those of the whole world. Anywhere in the world someone gets saved, it's through the work of Jesus Christ. Chapter 4, verse 9, by this the love of God was manifested in us, that God has sent His only begotten Son into the world so that we might live, not, notice this, not through us and our actions, but through Him. In this is love, not that we loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son, here it is again, to be the satisfaction of God's wrath, the propitiation for our sins. So understand this, you will only be made right with God, you will only be saved through the work and the work alone of Jesus Christ. You can only be cleansed from the guilt and the stain of sin through His work. But having been cleansed from the guilt and stain of sin, now being a Christian, we have a role in cleansing ourselves from the controlling power of sin in our lives once we have been redeemed by the work of Christ. Again, don't misunderstand, only God can truly change our hearts Just as only God can save us, only God can sanctify us. However, when it comes to sanctification, God only produces that change in our hearts as you and I expend maximum effort at obedience in the use of the means that God has provided. By the way, this is the way God normally works. Think about this fact. Only God can heal you. And can God do that directly without the use of means? Sure He can. I think He does that often in the lives of people. But how does God work normally? He uses means. He uses doctors and medicine and the the healing power that He's put within the human body. Think about crops. Only God can make a crop grow. But again, He uses means to accomplish that normally. The farmer sows the seed, the farmer plows the ground first, sows the seed, then he weeds, and then he allows time and sun and rain to have its effect. In the same way, sanctification is also God's work, but he uses means. And what means does he use? He uses you. He uses your pursuit of obeying Jesus Christ. Turn to Philippians chapter 2, one of my favorite passages about this. Philippians chapter 2, and look at verse 12. So then, my beloved, now notice the people he's writing these verses to are already loved by God. They're already Christians. So then, my beloved, just as you've always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Work it out. You've been saved. You're beloved by God. You've been redeemed. You belong to Him. Now work that salvation out. This is a a call to progressive sanctification. This is a call to pursue obedience with your maximum effort. But notice why this works. Verse 13, work out your own salvation for, because, here's why. It is God who is at work in you. This is why sanctification works. Not because of what we do, but God uses the means of our pursuit of obedience to be at work in us. And notice what God's work in us looks like. Verse 13, God is at work in you both to will. That means God is the one who produces a willingness to obey A desire to obey changes our desires and and gives us the resolve to pursue obedience and to work. He's the one who actually produces that obedience through our desire for obedience and our willingness to pursue that. So you see how it works. I expend the maximum effort, and God produces the change. That's the reality of sanctification. So, that's our role. There's a fourth detail we learned back in our text in 1 John 3, and that is the pattern of sanctification. Verse 3 says, everyone who has this hope fixed on him purifies himself just as he is pure, literally as that one is pure. John seven times in his letter uses this demonstrative pronoun to refer to Jesus Christ. John's referring here without question to Jesus Christ, and he says, Jesus is pure. He isn't a sinner now, and he wasn't a sinner in the past who has now become pure. He never had to purify himself as we are commanded to do. He was and is completely sinless. Look at 1 John 3, verse 5. 1 John 3, 5 Puts it very clearly, you know that He appeared in order to take away sins, and in Him there is no sin. Second Corinthians 5.21, He knew no sin, Hebrews 4.15. He is without sin. Hebrews seven twenty six. Jesus, our high priest, is holy, innocent, undefiled, and separated from sinners. He is the standard of our holiness. Folks, do not compare yourself and evaluate your holiness by the people around you. Don't look at your spouse and go, I'm doing pretty well. No. Evaluate your holiness by Jesus Christ. He's the model. He's the pattern. He's the standard, and he's the goal. Look back at chapter 2, verse 1, Jesus Christ is the righteous one, verse 6, the one who says He abides in Him ought Himself to walk in the same manner as He walked. He's the standard. And let me just say what John is saying here is if being like Him, if pursuing that standard is your desired final destination, if you really want one day to be like Him, then guess what? In this life, you're going to choose the only road that leads there, and that's pursuing Christ's likeness here. Everyone who has this hope fixed on him purifies himself just as he is pure. Now, there's one last point I want to make. It's not in our text, but it's an important point and a question I know that many have, and that is, what's the means of sanctification? What's the means there are so many unbiblical means that Christians try to use to gain holiness. I've got a full list of my notes. Let me just give you a couple. Man-made rules or legalism. Some secret method or formula. Listen, there's always somebody writing a book saying, here's the secret. There's no secret. Some sudden spiritual crisis. And this takes different forms in different denominations. The Methodist form of this is a, a second blessing, a second crisis like salvation. The Baptist form is full surrender or a rededication of your life. Some Bible churches say this you've accepted Jesus as Savior, now you need to accept Him as Lord. That's not a biblical concept at all. But this idea that there's some spiritual crisis that catapults you into a new level of spiritual maturity it's a lie. You're never going to go be- go to bed immature and wake up the next day spiritually mature. It's not going to happen like that. That's why the, the New Testament compares spiritual growth to physical growth. It is slow, tedious, at times imperceptible, but if there's life, it's relentless. It will happen. Another wrong means is solely prayer. Some people don't expend any effort. They just keep praying, God, change me, change me, change me, change me, and then they blame Him when He doesn't. A charismatic experience. Self-reformation or behavior modification, all of those are wrong means to pursue sanctification. So what are the primary biblical means of sanctification? I wish I had time to really fill this out. Let me encourage you to go listen to a couple of messages. One of them is part four of a series I taught on Romans 8, 5 to 13. I really get into the meat of it there. Also listen to Ephesians 4, verses 20 to 24. Both of those messages deal with this at length. Let me just give you a summary. Here's, here are the primary means. Number one, live by faith in Christ, Galatians 2.20. I have been crucified with Christ, and it's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. My faith, if I'm going to be sanctified, can never be in me, but always relentlessly in Christ. Number two, and this is absolutely key, read, meditate on, and apply the Word of God. The Word of God is the means of sanctification above all other means. In John 17, 17, Jesus was praying to the Father for His disciples, and He prayed this, Father, sanctify them by means of the truth. Your Word is truth. In other words, sanctify them by means of Your Word, that's what He was praying. You must read, meditate on, and apply the Word of God. Number three, expend maximum effort to pursue obedience by putting off old patterns of thinking, attitudes, words, behavior, and putting on new patterns of those things. You see, biblical sanctification is synergistic. That is, you participate and the Spirit participates. John Owen put it this way, the Spirit works in us and with us, not against us or without us. Sanctification is not solely my work. And it's not solely the Spirit's work, nor is it cooperation in which I do my part and the Spirit does His part. Rather, we work because the Spirit is at work in us, as we saw in Philippians 2. Still, your progress in sanctification will be conditioned on and commensurate with your effort. It requires putting specific patterns off, putting them to death. And putting on the virtues of Christ. Number four, depend completely on Christ and His Spirit to enable you to pursue obedience and to produce real change. In other words, don't think you're doing this. John 15, 5, in the context of bearing fruit, Jesus says, apart from me, you can do nothing. Romans 8, 13, if by the Spirit you are putting to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Real sanctification, real heart change is accomplished solely by the Spirit of Christ that dwells in us. We must never depend on our own efforts or even on the means of grace, but always on the Spirit of grace. And number five, pray for sanctification. Christ prayed the night before His crucifixion and He still prays for the sanctification of His followers. Listen again to John 17, 17, this is a prayer, Father, sanctify them by means of the truth. Your word is truth. Jesus prayed and as our great high priest still prays for Your holiness. And He taught us to pray faithfully for our own sanctification as well as for the sanctification of those in our family and church. The final petition of the Lord's Prayer, Matthew 6 verse 13, do not lead us into temptation but deliver us from evil. That's a prayer for sanctification. And Jesus said pray that all the time. Everyone who has this hope fixed on him purifies himself just as he is pure. Listen, if you call yourself a Christian, that verse describes you not in perfection but in the direction of your life. And if it doesn't describe you, if verse 3 does not describe you, you are not a Christian. You are just lip-syncing with Christian words. And I say this with a heavy heart, you are a fraud. Perhaps like Millie Vanilli, you've begun to deceive yourself that you really are the real thing, but according to the Word of God, you're not. Everyone who has this hope in Him, fixed on Jesus purifies Himself just as He is pure. If you're here this morning and you've claimed Christ, but as you look honestly at your life, you say, that's not my desire, that's not what I've done, that's not the pursuit of my life, and you say, I- I'm not a real Christian, then listen, you just need where you sit to repent in your heart, to cry out to the God of mercy, and ask Him to do what you can't do, and that is change you at the heart level, to radically change you into a new person. And God has never turned away a person who came with a contrite, humble heart, seeking that through the work of Jesus Christ because of His death for sinners and His resurrection. God will answer that prayer, and through Christ, He will do that work in you. If you'll, if you'll humble yourself even this morning. Christian, let me ask you, are you daily repenting of and confessing your sin? And are you seeking to put off patterns of sin and true repentance? Are you seeking holiness? Are you seeking to be like Jesus Christ? Are you seeking to put on the virtues of Christ? Everyone who has this hope fixed on him purifies himself just as he is pure. Or Hebrews 12, 24, pursue the sanctification. Pursue it without which no one will see the Lord.
1: That's Tom Pennington here on The Word Unleashed with part 12 of his series, Recovering a Lost Legacy. Next time, Tom will begin a brand new series, and we hope you'll join us then. But Tom, before we end our time today, would you summarize the importance of understanding our spiritual DNA?
0: You know, Bill, understanding our spiritual DNA is literally a manner of life and death. For those who have not repented of their sins and not confessed Jesus Christ as Lord, Jesus teaches us that Satan is their father and they're still part of his family. And the eternal destination of all who belong to that family is separation from God for eternity. But the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, offers us salvation of our sins and adoption into God's family all because of the person and work of jesus christ trusting in him and in him alone is how anyone leaves the family they were born into satan's family and enters the family of the true and living god
1: thanks tom and fred does the bible speak about the government and structure of the church In his book, A Biblical Case for Elder Rule, Tom Pennington presents in-depth evidence from Scripture to show that God intends every local church to be governed by a plurality of godly men. In an age where a biblical ecclesiology is often neglected, it is critical to recapture what the Bible teaches about the structure of the church. Purchase your copy of Tom's book, A Biblical Case for Elder Rule, today at thewordunleashed.org. That's thewordunleashed.org. And now for Tom Pennington and the entire team, I'm Bill Wright. Thanks for listening to The Word Unleashed, Exalting God's Glory.